This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. Regulation and Fraud Management. How legislation is working in banks and credit unions' favor to enhance fraud prevention and fraud detection for debit and online banking. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with David Nussenbaum and Ron Giamarco of Ernst & Young, who share their thoughts about how banking institutions can leverage new FFIEC guidance and recommendations from the Fed to enhance the fraud protections they pass along to commercial customers and members. David, over the last several weeks, we've talked quite a bit about what the new online authentication guidance passed down by the FFIEC means for financial institutions. Now, of course, with the Fed's recent clarification regarding how the Durban Amendment's interchange cuts could impact fraud prevention, banking institutions have quite a bit to consider, and that's, of course, a good thing. But, David, I'd like for you to tell us, how do each of you or how do you see the Durban one-cent debit fraud prevention incentive offered by the Fed connecting with steps to comply with the updated FFIEC guidelines for online security? How might the two movements complement one another? Sure, Tracy. Well, they really complement each other very well. The one, the uh, Durbin uh, Amendment, really focuses on debit cards, and the other, FFIEC, focuses on online banking. Both of them have uh, strong fraud and security uh, elements. Durbin, in general, is, is really was not well received by the banks. It obviously caps debit card interchange fees. But there's a silver lining here, and that is that if a bank can demonstrate that they have a solid fraud control program in place, they're actually entitled to another cent of uh, interchange fees, which really can add up for a large bank. The um, FFIEC online security guidelines are really focused on protecting consumers and banks against uh, online fraud attacks. So uh, they really uh, address two different uh, uh, areas of banking, that are interrelated in the in in the event that there are there is actual use of online banking associated with uh, cards. And Ron, then I'd like to ask you. Okay, so look, we accept the fact that these two movements do complement one another, but how closely can fraud managers link debit fraud prevention with stronger online authentication? Is there a logical connection there? Uh, Thanks, Tracy. I would say, uh, yes, there is absolutely a logical connection. And I think the first takeaway that fraud managers should think about is that this really demonstrates uh, increasing regulatory requirements facing fraud. Um, clearly, the, the requirements around Durbin uh, are very explicit, as are the requirements around the FFIEC requirements around online authentication. Uh, really, organizations have to think about the multiple layers of security that are required to ensure customer protection, to ensure regulatory compliance, and they really have to think about these in a bit of a hierarchical fashion because all of these layers are required to ultimately protect the uh, the financial institution and the customer against organized attacks. Great, and David, I'd like to go back to you for a moment. When it comes to the new FFIEC guidelines, most institutions are currently focusing on risk assessments. Now, is it logical for them to develop plans for those risk assessments that also evaluate debit fraud? Absolutely. I would say, I would answer that in two ways. First of all, there is, within the uh, Durban uh, Amendment, there is discussion about how the bank has to demonstrate that 
they have the means of detecting and preventing fraud. And so, by implication, you really can't do that until before you've done a thorough assessment of your risks. You really have to understand your, the vulnerabilities in your products and the vulnerabilities in your customer base, and that certainly applies to your debit products. Now, I was going to ask you to kind of explain how these two might work in tandem, but just to kind of recap, it sounds like you're talking about a risk assessment that would look at each of these particular uh, services differently, right? You would look at debit fraud and come up with a risk assessment for debit fraud and then look at online fraud and come up with a risk assessment there. But where might the two meet in the middle? Let me start by first talking about debit card fraud because when, when you really um, drill down a little bit, there are many different sorts of debit card products. Uh, increasingly, we see prepaid debit products. We see NFC, near-field communication-enabled cards. Um, these are examples of the variety of products that a debit card issuer is probably going to uh, have to assess in terms of each of their vulnerabilities. And then similarly, you have uh, uh, different segments of your customer base that you have to understand. And uh, lastly, these cards are used in a variety of different contexts whether they be ATM withdrawals or point-of-sale or e-commerce. So that's just giving you a flavor for the level of uh, the variety and the level of detail that has to be undertaken to properly understand the risks within the cards. And then marry that against the, uh, the guidelines that FFIEC gives you in terms of online banking, uh, and then you'll see there's overlap. There's overlap in situations where... Uh, for example, a card, a new card may be issued through the online channel, or where, um, or where the the card holder is looking at information about the transactions uh, through the online channel. So there's definitely overlap between uh, debit card utilization and online banking. And when it comes to these fraud security practices within institutions, those that relate to debit and those that relate to online banking. How siloed do those two remain in today's payments environment? Well, they shouldn't be that siloed, but there may be cases where there are actually different areas uh, who have day-to-day -day operational responsibility for uh, patrolling the online channel and patrolling the usage of debit cards. But I think the way to highlight why they shouldn't be siloed is let's look at it from the fraudster's perspective. If, you know, a fraudster if he or she recognizes that there's a silo defense, they, they will exploit that situation. So consider the following scenario, very simply, a uh, very simple scenario. A fraudster might fish to take over uh, some individual, some victim's online banking account. Uh, at that point, the fraudster might uh, do a, a change of address on the online system, might request a new debit card online, might activate that new card, which today could be done online or over the phone, and um, then would proceed with a live debit card to drain the victim's account via an ATM or POS. So that's a, a nice, uh, simple example of how uh, the fraudster would exploit the two different uh, areas, the online area and the card area, and if there's not coordination, um, the fraudster would uh, take advantage of those silos. And David, what recommendations could you offer to financial institutions that would help them integrate solutions and approaches 
that enhance security and authentication across both the online and debit schemes? Well, again, I think there's a common theme here, and that it really means it comes down to first having a thorough and broad risk assessment that looks across your products and across your channels and coming up with an overall uh, direction in financial crime strategy uh, and uh, having the right systems and organization and processes in place. Once you really know where you're going, then it really becomes easy to integrate your different countermeasures, including integration between uh, online and, and debit card defenses. Now, Ron, I'd like to go back to you for a moment. How can financial institutions do a better job of balancing compliance? And when I talk about compliance, I'm basically talking about passing a fraud exam. How do they balance that compliance with enhanced security that also qualifies for these incentives that we talked about at the opening of the call? Sure. Maybe I'll give you a little analogy here to think about. Um, Early in life, uh, we all learn without having to take an examination, right? Then you get into school and and everything that you learn, you have to validate that you've learned it um, by taking a test. So every good student needs to understand and learn how to take a test. Uh, In the fraud space, fraud managers are no different, right? Um, They have to take what they've learned and ultimately apply it, and the test is just a way of demonstrating that you've actually done that. The point is that compliance can be tailored to manage specific business risks rather than being just a check-the-box check exercise. Where it is a check-the-box exercise, you run in, in danger of, of really not providing any value. So you really have to constantly challenge those that thinking, uh, not making it a simple compliance exercise and making sure that it focuses on business risk. What lessons can fraud managers learn from their colleagues in compliance and security, and how closely should all of those departments be working together? Well, the answer is they should be working very, very closely together. In most financial institutions, it's important to keep in mind that the compliance officers and security officers have significant experience demonstrating their competencies to bank examiners. They've been the subject of uh, regulatory reviews, uh, audits, uh, internal audit, external audit, third-party reviews for, for many, many years. So fraud managers should really be adopting their best practices around risk assessment, around training, communications and metrics, monitoring, and maybe most importantly, uh, looking down the road and having an enterprise-wide view of risk and incorporating kind of the the rapidly changing environment and rapidly changing regulatory expectation in their processes and procedures. And Ron, what are some of the technologies that you see or those that maybe you might recommend that address some of these cross-channel concerns, such as ACH and wire fraud and the connection to debit? Customer identification, transaction monitoring, case management, uh, analytics, they're all used in both the fraud and AML space across all the major payment uh, instruments. We're clearly seeing a convergence of monitoring activities across fraud, across anti-money laundering, across uh, other surveillance activities and responsibilities. It's important that the technologies available be fully leveraged by the institutions and that synergies, whether it's in the customer identification process, whether it's in link analysis, whether it's in pattern analysis, that these synergies be identified and used across the different surveillance domains. And then, David, I'd like to go back to you for a moment. How can fraud, security, and compliance departments develop as well as deploy processes and strategies that streamline not only operations and work, but also help to prevent fraud oversight and risk assessment redundancies? I think there's some balance that has to be taken into consideration. Obviously, fraud, security, compliance, 
these uh, departments, these individuals who work in those departments, they do have somewhat different goals and objectives. They're not all doing exactly the same thing, and there are some different skills. But as I think we've tried to um, uh, mention before, in spite of the need for some separation of duties, um, there's so much that they have to gain by working more closely together, by learning about what each other is doing, and by really examining how uh, technology can uh, overlap uh, into different areas of responsibility. So sort of a core, uh, as Juan mentioned, some core transaction monitoring case management platforms, we're seeing tremendous benefit of uh, sharing uh, either platforms or information or analytics across these different uh, areas. So, uh, yeah, I, I would just summarize by saying that data, technology, and then individual expertise really has to be better shared. And before we close, what final thoughts would either of you like to leave our audience with? For instance, what are the top five considerations for fraud managers and others when it comes to debit and online fraud prevention? So I'll, uh, I'll take that if I can, Tracy. A, a few things here, and, and maybe first and foremost to take away is that fraud management it has now entered the regulatory spotlight. Managing your, your customer risk, authentication, the rules in Durban clearly demonstrate that the regulators are fo focusing on fraud more and more. So the game has changed and you need to approach it in a way that will meet regulatory requirements. Uh, maybe the second thing to keep in mind is that um, the fraudster or whoever is attacking either the financial institution or the customer base never erects silos. They don't think about you know uh, different lines of businesses or what's money laundering and what's fraud. They're simply uh, attempting to, to perpetrate uh, an illegal act that is impacting the financial institution and the customer base, and you need to think about that the same way. Uh, so in addition to the fraud, fraudster's perspective, um, Financial institutions need to knock down those organizational silos where it makes sense. And really, ultimately, sharing information, whether you utilize the same people, the same process, the same te technology, those are all the hows. What, what organizations need to do is really share information in, in order to manage the, the what. Uh, the risk assessment is key. We talked a little bit about uh, performing an appropriate risk assessment, but don't rest on that risk assessment. Risks change significantly day to day and over time, so you need to really have a thorough understanding of your products, your customers, and how your business is, is evolving. And then finally, keeping in mind that fraud management really uh, achieves three objectives, right? The first is to reduce fraud losses. The second is to avoid regulatory issues and fines. Uh, and the third is really around the customer experience, maintaining customer trust and customer confidence. Great. I appreciate that. And I'd like to thank both of you for your time today. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. Again, we've just heard from David Nessenbaum and Ron Giamarco of Ernst & Young. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kim. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.